everybody. You know, I, I'm, I'm amazed how God has moved in my life. As I look back on my journey with the Lord, there have been constantly experiences with the Lord that he's prepared me for the future. And that's what God does. He prepares us in advance. And God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And, and when I think about all through history, God has prepared his people in advance. He's given us signs. He's given us direction. You know, his word is, is so such a gift to us. But, but, it, but as I think about how God has moved, it's, it's interesting to me how, uh, like I've had experiences with the Lord that have been so clearly God's movement in my life that I've said out loud, Lord, I'll never doubt you again. I'll never doubt you. But, but I find myself often doubting the Lord through my life. I don't know if you're like that. I'll go through a time that maybe of trial. You know, this weekend was a, um, a, really, a really cool thing happened. Uh, a good friend of mine um, that I, I was with on mission trips uh, many times uh, David Valorand, uh, I was with him so many times, and, and, and I can't tell you the number of times I would hit him on the arm and go, can you believe we just watched God do that? And he'd be like, I can't believe it. Um, he was tragically killed um, uh, about four years ago when I preached his funeral. And this weekend, they dedicated the baseball field in Washington, Oklahoma, uh, the David Valorand baseball field. And, you know, as I saw that uh, unfold, I, uh, it just reminded me how God has moved in my life. How even though I didn't understand that moment of David's death, um, I've tr learned to trust the Lord in everything that he does. You know, um, we're going to see this moment in Matthew chapter 12 is where we are. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 12. Um, Jesus was with his disciples, and, and, he, and he walked with these men, and he, and he talked with them, and, and, you know, he prepared them in advance. And what's interesting about, um, and I'm excited about this Easter season, you know, we just finished 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to come back to 1 Peter uh, after the Easter season. But, but I'll tell you, um, uh, I'm, I'm constantly amazed as I look at how Jesus so intentionally prepared his disciples about his resurrection. And what's interesting is that is the, not only the disciples, they, they often missed it. And you see in Scripture where the disciples couldn't understand that the resurrection was actually happening. Um, but, but, you know, what's interesting is, is, is all the Pharisees and the, and the leaders, the ones that were studying the Bible, the ones that knew the Old Testament law, they missed it too. And, and it's almost like uh, there have been times in my life... I, that I feel like God has said, Chris, what more do you want in, my, in your life to prove that I'm with you, to prove that I'm walking with you? Because I don't know if you've been like this, and, and, and have, hasn't it been the case when, when God answers a prayer in your life? You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that God answered that prayer, right? Um, you know, of God's provision or God's protection or God's movement. Or have you ever read your Bible and then looked at the culture around us and go, oh my goodness, the Bible's coming true right before our eyes, right? Uh, we're kind of looking at that now as you think about, you know, Matthew 24 and, and you know, 1 Timothy uh, 5 and, and uh, 
you know, these, the, when you look at the culture, we see God's word kind of unfolding right before our eyes, and it often surprises us, right? But, but I kind of want to just expect God to move, right? Expect God to just lead. And because and, here's what we know about the Lord. He's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. I mean, what God has said in his word, he's going to do it. And, and when you think about the coming of Christ into the world, when you think about the second coming of Christ, just like Christ came the first time and, and it was predicted Christ is going to come the second time. There's going to be a second coming. I don't know if we'll see it or not. Um, uh, but, but one of the things you see unfolding in the world is, is just the word of God is just kind of coming to pass. Now, you know, we're going to look at over the next few weeks how this played out with the disciples. How Jesus just said, look, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. And, and, and you know, the, the, it's crazy to me because this was told by the prophets. I and mean, when you think about the prophets of old, Isaiah and Zechariah and Daniel and Jeremiah, these were prophets that spoke about, look, the Son of Man is going to come and, and he's going to enter the world in this miraculous way. He's going to die on a cross. I mean, the, the prophets spoke to these things. And, and what's interesting is uh, all of these people in the first century, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they should have known better. And, and Jesus was right in front of them. And they were like, yeah, I don't believe you, Jesus. I don't, I don't believe in you. And even the disciples were, were amazed. But, but when I look at this story in Matthew 12, I'm thinking, what more do they want? And because Jesus, it was so obvious who he was. And when you think about the, the think of, you remember when Jesus was born? And, and, uh, and just like it was prophesied that he would be born. Remember the Magi showed up? Those, those were those wise men that showed up. You know what they were doing? They were just looking at the stars. They were looking at what the world would say because the, they knew the prophecies. They knew that, hey, these things are going to line up. So they went looking for the Messiah, right? You know, remember um, one of my favorite characters in the time of the birth of Christ was Simeon. Remember Simeon? Simeon was going to the temple every day going, hey, I'm expecting, this is the time that the Messiah is going to come. I'm going looking. And remember when Mary walked in, Simeon was like, this is it. Remember, Simeon was the guy that said, God told me that I wouldn't taste death until I saw the Messiah. He was that guy. So he was looking for the Messiah. And all of a sudden, he, Jesus shows up and he's like, this is, this is you. The Messiah has come. The Savior has come. So what's interesting is so many people were looking for the Messiah. And it's these Pharisees, these, these men that studied the law of God, completely missed him. Right in front of him. I mean, and even the disciples were, were confused about this. Now, now you know what? Um, Jesus is still moving. God is still moving. So point number one, I'm going to give you a point before we look at the passage. But, but point number one is that Jesus is the greatest evidence for, of hope in life. And I want you to know Jesus is, is compelling evidence for hope in life. You know, yesterday, yesterday was a really interesting day. Um, I, I preached the funeral of a man yesterday that... Um, Man, it's, it's kind of crazy because um, this guy uh, about a year ago connected with a group of men in our church. 
and uh, reconnected with a guy in our church who who leads a, a Thursday morning Bible study, and 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 this guy like reconnects with Rick, and and they then they start talking. He comes to Christ just a few a few months ago. Comes to Christ. This guy gets saved and comes to Christ, and and. And you know what? This is the craziest thing. About four weeks ago, three weeks ago, he says to Rick, man, I'm not feeling good. I'm not coming to the Bible study. He got cancer and died two weeks later. His funeral was yesterday. Crazy. Uh, crazy fast. But, but you know what? Um, I stood in front of all of his family yesterday and said, look, I want you to see Jesus. Because, you know, the greatest hope in life is Jesus because it's Christ who comes to us that, that Christ gives us peace and hope in this life and the next. And here's what I want us to all realize. There is a next life. That death's not the end. It's, it's the door to eternal life. And, and the Bible's very clear on this. And, and Jesus proved this. And, you know, when he proved it, when, when, by his life, I mean, think about his life. I mean, Jesus' life, he was born in a, in a miraculous way. I mean, no one can explain his birth. He, he, you know, when, when Jesus talked, people that heard him teach said, man, you teach like with power. Who are, man, you're different than other teachers. You have a power to you. And, like, no kidding. I mean, he's God in the flesh. I mean, that, that would be, you get, can you imagine getting to hear Jesus teach? I mean, that'd be, I, I hope we get to see the video in heaven when we, when we get to see that about Jesus teaching. I would love to hear that. But, but people that heard him teach said, man, Jesus, you're different. Um, when you think about his life, I mean, think about it, the miracles that he, that he performed. Like even the, the Pharisees, and like Nicodemus in John 3, he comes to Jesus and he's like, okay, look, I am a teacher of the law, but look, nobody can do what you do unless you are God. I mean, Jesus' life was fascinating. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting, turn to Matthew 12, because this is an experience that these Pharisees, these guys that understood the Old Testament, they should have recognized him, right? I mean, the, wor- the whole world was pointing to the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. They should have recognized him, but look at Matthew 12. Let's stand together and let's read 38 through 42 and look at this interaction with Jesus. <clears throat> And these Pharisees, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, uh, she will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, 38 through 42. And this is the word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Thank you. Maybe seated. Now, when you think about, um, let's look at this passage. When you think about the message of Christ, I mean, uh, the, the time of Christ entering the world, look, let me tell you something. That was the focal point of human history. 
When you think about the most important moment in human history, the, the whole world points to that moment. Because that was, I mean, we, prior to Christ coming, the world was looking forward to Christ. And think about us. We're constantly looking back at that moment that Jesus came into the world, died on the cross. And, and, uh, and you know, when you think about the, the claim of that moment, the magnificence of that moment, uh, look, Jesus conquered the grave. In my life, I, I've done, I've been in a lot of funerals. I mean, I've done, I think so far since the start of 2019, I've personally preached 67 funerals since 2019. And, and you know what, um, when you think about the, the finality of death, it seems from our perspective, when you think about how the, that the grave is so uncomfortable, like even yesterday, I'm standing with these people at the cemetery, and it's such a moment that gets everybody's attention, right? Because no, here, we're all sad, and we're all struggling with this inevitable reality as you're standing there. But look, this is the destiny of every man. But see, Jesus did something unique and the reason we constantly look back on, on this first century moment is because, look, Jesus defeated death. He conquered the grave. And, and what's fascinating uh, about Jesus is, and, and, and every thinking person needs to look at Jesus, needs to pay attention to Jesus. Because when you think about the magnitude of this claim that, that, that he would die but then rise from the dead, this is a big deal. And this is why Jesus was constantly saying to the Pharisees in the first century, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is why I came. I came to go to the cross to conquer the grave. Because, see, you know, it's interesting as you look at the first century, they were, they were struggling with, with slavery, with captivity, because the Romans were, 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 were um, had captured them, had conquered them. So, so they were under the Roman authority. And when you look at the Jewish people, they were kind of thinking, man, we need a deliverer. We need somebody to rescue us from the Romans. You see, Jesus came to defeat a bigger enemy, a more lethal enemy, a more devastating enemy. The, Jesus came to defeat not just not Roman occupation. Jesus came to defeat sin and death. That's why Jesus came. He came to conquer the grave, to defeat death itself, because, see, the, that, that's every human's problem, sin and death. I think it's interesting that, that people miss Jesus. And even these Pharisees, look at verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Um, you know, it's almost like they, uh, they, they said, Jesus, we want to see one of your tricks. We want to see one of those little, hey, do one of those little tricks for us. Because they, they were looking at Jesus going, wow, you, you, he did miracles. He healed people. He, he fed people uniquely with the, just a small amount of food. He, he would spit on the ground and heal blindness. He would let, someone would walk that was lame. And, and, and he did all these miracles, turned water into wine. It was his first one. And, and these Pharisees knew about this. And they were like, hey, we want to see a sign. And, and, it's, and it's interesting to me, of all the evidence that was available, 
they still came to Jesus to go, hey, show me something else. Do you know this request for a sign really was a lack of faith in the life of the disciples? How often do we come to Jesus and go, Lord, if you'll just do something for me and show me that you're real, I'll really follow you. And what I want to be is, Lord, you've already given me enough. I want to live my life in such a way that if God never speaks to me again, if, if, God, if God never answers another prayer in my life, that because of what he's already done, that I would follow him with all I have, just because what he's already done in my life. But these Pharisees, they, they said, hey, we want to seek a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, look at verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. You know, these guys knew about the miracles. They, uh, they knew his reputation. And, and I think it's interesting that in spite of the evidence that we already see, we as human beings want to seek, oh, I need more from you, Lord. I need more evidence before I'll really follow you. That's where these guys were. Um, they, they really disbelieved him. And, 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 you know, when you think about it, most people don't reject Jesus on the basis of evidence. They reject Jesus because they just don't want to submit to him. And, um, but look what Jesus said to him. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And here's the, and, and it's easy to sit down here in this moment and look at those disciples and go, man, what punks? Man, what knotheads were they? You know, oh, uh, how could they do that? But, but, but then I, when I do that, I kind of sit back and go, well, I do that sometimes. I kind of do the same thing, and I ignore the signs. Point number two, let's look at this, that, that, and this is what I want us to see, the disciples needed to see, that the death, burial, and resurrection, think about that. That's the only signs the world needs to see, right? What more do we need to see than the death, or really the life, or you could, let's back it up, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Like that, that's really the only thing we need to see. That's why, that's why I pray that, that, that we come to terms with what that means and, and the reality of the resurrection. I mean, think about it. All, there's, there's people that believe all kinds of crazy stuff in the world, don't they? I mean, shoot, it seems to be like always California people that, you know, there's always some prophet from California. I, I don't know why it's always California. But, um, but, but, but you know, there, there's people that believe all kinds of stuff. Buddha, Muhammad, all kinds of, of leaders and teachers that people will give their life to. But, but can I just say, there's only one who made the claim of conquering the dead, conquering the grave, and it's Jesus. And so that's why every, like C.S. Lewis was right, that every thinking person has to come to grips with the claim that Jesus made. Because there's a lot of people that will say, oh, well, Jesus was a great teacher, but he's not God. Well, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis made this famous, that, that when it comes to Jesus, there's only, uh, there's only a few options for him. He, he's either a liar, because Jesus claimed to be God and claimed to rise from the dead. So if you don't see him as God, then, then he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. I mean, like, it's like if we see people today that say, hey, come worship me. We'd be like, okay, no thanks, dude. Are you kidding me? Uh, we look at that as like, that guy's woo-hoo, you know, right? When we see someone saying that. 
But Jesus did that. He said, look, I'm, I, he, he allowed people to worship him as God. And that's why one of the evidences of Christ is, is the fact that his brothers came to believe in him. James, his brother, said, started his book in James 1. He says, James, a bondservant, a bondslave of Jesus, my Lord. Now, I have a brother. My brother's name's Mike. If my brother started walking around saying, hey, G- hey, Chris, I'm telling everybody that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'd be like, Mike, shut your mouth, man. You're embarrassing our family, right? But, um, but Jesus' brothers became convinced that he's God. And I, boy, I can relate to that because I got a brother. And if my brother was walking around saying that, I'd be, that th- think about the only thing that would convince me that my brother was that. Well, if he died and rose from the dead, I'd be like, all right. And that's what James saw. I mean, he went to Jesus' funeral. He knew that his brother died on a cross. And then, oh my goodness, he showed up and ate with them, and talked with them, and walked with them. And when you think about it, that's what the disciples saw. But, but you know what's interesting? That's what the prophets predicted, that Jesus would do this. And he, he, look at verse 39. He answered them, uh, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. That's what Jesus says. I think it's interesting. But no sign will be given to him except for the prophet of the prophet Jonah. Remember Jonah? He's the one that was uh, in the belly of the fish. You know, big old fish swallowed him. You know? Uh, you know, some people go, oh, well, that couldn't happen. Oh, man, that's, that's crazy to believe that, that a fish could, uh, a guy could live in the belly of a fish. And I'm like, okay, that, is, it pro- is it challenging to grasp that? Yeah, maybe. But I, if Jesus can rise from the dead, Keeping a guy alive in the stomach of a fish and having him throw it up, that's really not as big a deal, right? Uh, uh, okay, I mean, uh, if I can accept the fact that he can conquer the day, grave, come back from, life, from death to life, okay, a fish thing, not, big, not, not that big of an issue. But, you know, there's a lot of people that will stumble over that. But, but look, Jesus, I think, points to the reality of Jonah, the, the, the fact that Jonah, really, that really did happen, because Jesus says, you've already seen the sign of Jonah. These Pharisees, they believed in Jonah. They were, now, I don't think they liked this analogy, because remember what Jonah did? He went to the Ninevites, right? They were not Jewish, they were Gentiles, they were pagan people. They were rough people. Even Jonah didn't want to see God have mercy on them. Jonah was mad about that. But God saved them. And, and, and he, says, he says, look, um, look at this analogy, verse 40. But just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's pointing to the fact that the Son of Man came to die. The men of Nineveh will rise up a judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, this made them mad because these Pharisees were like, I'm going to be condemned by Gentiles, by these men of Nineveh? Are you kidding me? And they didn't like that. But why would the men of Nineveh uh, condemn them in the last days? For, For Look at this, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
You see, they, they trusted God. They turned to, to the Lord. That's what they did in the time of Jonah. And, and that's what Jesus came to say, look, turn to me. And do you know that to this day, God is still asking and calling people to turn to him. That's why if you've not trusted Christ in, as your Savior, oh, you, let me tell you, you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. You need Jesus. And the world needs Jesus. And this is why uh, I thank the Lord. I thank, I thank the Lord this morning that, as, uh, that, that God has a, has, is making sure through the work of our hands that the gospel witness will not stop on Admiral in Tulsa. It's not going to stop. Because people around here need Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. There's a, there's a Walmart down the street. You know what that tells me? I mean, Walmart does demographic studies. And you know where they build Walmarts? Do you know where they put those? They put those where people live. They don't put those where people don't live. You know why? They want to make some money, right? They want to sell stuff. I went to Walmart yesterday. It's, I mean, no one likes to go to Walmart, right? No one likes to do that, but we do, don't we? Because we got to buy stuff, you know? We got to buy, I had to buy toothpaste yesterday, and Walmart's the cheapest spot, right? And so you're welcome that I bought toothpaste. I brushed my teeth this morning. So you can, you can say hi to me, and I won't kill you probably. But, um, but, but you know what? Um, People need this message. They need to turn to Jesus because you see what we have is something better than toothpaste. We're called to share the gift of eternal life. And people around here need the Lord. And they repented at Jonah, verse 41. And, and, and then Jesus says something really interesting to these Pharisees. He goes, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's almost like, boys, hey, something greater than Jonah is standing right in front of you. Don't miss it. And then he, um, he says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. You know, what, what's he referring to here? Remember Solomon, the queen of Sheba? She was fascinated by Solomon because she was like, man, the whole world knew about Solomon. So the queen of the south, queen of Sheba, she came to see Solomon, and, and you know what she was? A Gentile. And this is another moment that Jesus is pointing to the fact that, hey, these Gentiles have believed me and you haven't. This made them, this is like, this is making them mad, right? He, he's comparing them to a, a worse um, mentality than a Gentile. And and it's interesting. He says, she, he says these Gentiles are going to condemn you. He uses two, uses two historic examples saying, look, um, Gentiles have repented. You haven't to these Pharisees. And then he says something again. Look at the end of verse 42. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Whoa. This, for these Pharisees, these Jewish people, let me tell you something, there was nobody greater than Solomon, right? Solomon was the, the wealthiest of all kings. He was the, the like in the time of, of, of Israel, during the whole reign of Solomon, that was nothing but success. 
They were in power. They were, they were the wealthiest of all. People were astonished at the wealth of God's people. You talk about the temptation to look back at the past and go, man, those are the good old days. For Solomon, that was the good old days, right? The best of days. But then Jesus looked at them. Something greater than Solomon is right in front of you boys. Now, I think that's fascinating. Verse 41, notice this. Something greater than Solomon, than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Let's think about that. Let's compare this for a second. See, Jonah was just a man, right? But Jesus was God in the flesh. That's who Jesus was. He was God with skin on. Okay, that's who Jesus was, folks. That's why the first century, that's that's the focal point of human history. Jesus was God in the flesh. And in our minds, we just go, because how Jesus could be fully man and fully God at the same time, I, I can't explain that to you. But that's what the Bible reveals. Jonah, what's interesting, the difference with Jonah, <clears throat> Jonah struggled to obey God. Here's the thing about Jesus. Do you know that Jesus willingly went to the cross? Man, that blows my mind. That Jesus would willingly Go to the cross for you and me. Folks, let me tell you, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You know what that verse says? It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I'll tell you, there's going to be a day that I draw my last breath and I see Jesus face to face, and I'm going to be like, whoa. Wow, Lord. Thank you sounds so inadequate that Jesus would take my sin. Holy God would take my sin. And, and let's recognize that, see, Jonah struggled to obey, Jesus, obey God, but Jesus willingly went to the cross. Let, let, me, let me tell you another comparison. Uh, Jonah didn't actually die. Jonah was in the belly of the fish, but he was still alive. Jesus came out of the grave. Folks, let me tell you something. And I love that we had some sound bites there because the Bible says, hey, children will praise the Lord. That's right. And when I just talked about the grave, she got louder. That's awesome. So, so let's not miss that right there. Like Jesus says, hey, let the little children come into me, you know. Like uh, we sang the song, the rocks will cry out if we don't praise the Lord. And I, I, I just love it how the spirit of God moves in the heart of a, of a baby. When I talk about the grave, it's like, yeah, oh. I don't even know what that meant, but by golly, that's cool. You know what's interesting? Jonah went to one city to share salvation. Let's think about what Jesus did. Jesus brought salvation to the entire world. Golly, can you believe that? That this message of Christ, this message of salvation, it's going to the world. And you know what? I, I love it that we get to live in a day when we literally can travel all over the world in a matter of hours, right? 
Uh, we can jump on a plane. Like in the first century, they couldn't do that. They'd be like taking a horse, you know. Um, we, can, we can fly anywhere in the world in a matter of hours and tell people about Jesus. We can even, you know what's crazy right now? This, I love this. You know, right now, some of our missionaries can't get into Ukraine. You know what they can do? They can communicate to their brothers and sisters in Ukraine and encourage them and, and bless them and pray for them and minister to them through this phone that they've got. Golly, we live in a cool time. And what I love about, let's look at the difference between Jonah Jonah just went to one city to share the gospel. Jesus came to the whole world. And then he's invited us to be a part of it. You know what's interesting about Jonah? Jonah Jonah didn't love the people of Nineveh. You remember that story? He didn't love them. He's mad about it. He's like, I don't want to go there. Jesus even showed love to his enemies. Jesus came to those Gentiles and said, I know you don't like me. I know that you're an enemy. I know you're trying to destroy me. You know, you know, in this interaction with the Pharisees, you know what Jesus is doing? He's reaching out to them. And it broke his heart that he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. But, but you know what I love about the difference between Jesus? He showed love to his enemies. Sheba, again, she was a Gentile who came to the king. You know what I love about Jesus? You know why he is greater than the queen of Sheba, greater than Jonah? Because Jesus came to the lost. And that's me. That was me. That was my family. You know, I, was, um, I got some time with my son in my, uh, over spring break, and we went on this very intentional trip. And um, as we were just talking about just our our family, our history, where the Lord has moved in our lives. We, we spent some time with my cousin in Colorado, and uh, we were talking about our family. Do you know that our family, um, we, I grew up on land in Moore, Oklahoma, that my family got in the land run. So that's back to 1889, if you know Oklahoma history. If you had to, anybody had to take that class, Oklahoma history class? Okay, yeah, you remember it? Did y'all pass it? I did, uh, barely. But, um, but, you know, most time we sleep through history class, right? But, um, but in Oklahoma history, that was, uh, people had free land. You know what my cousin said to me? He goes, you know, the fact that our family came to get the free land showed that we didn't have anything. If we would have had land or if we would have had, uh, you know, uh, a prospect of life or, a, or, a, or if we had come from means or, or, or a legacy of finances, we'd have been like, I ain't going to get free land. I got my own land. But our family, they didn't have anything. They came to Oklahoma to rebuild and to restart. And, and you know what's interesting is I, we look at our family history. My just yesterday, Chloe went to my parents' house, and she turned on Turner Street. The Turners was my family name, my grandmother's name. You know what's interesting is you look at their our family story, the Turner story, is that they didn't know Jesus. 
my grandmother's two brothers, one committed suicide, one died in a bar fight. My grandmother was the only one left. She got all the land because everybody had died. As an adult, my grandmother came to know Jesus. My grandmother and grandfather, Les Wall and Hattie Wall, came to know Christ as adults. Les Wall was an auto mechanic. He had one of those shops that if you dropped something, it was dirty. Okay, it's not like the shops today. You know, he had an auto mechanic shop with grease all over the floor. And I remember going to that as a kid. And, and you know what? Jesus changed the entire destination of our family because Les Wall and Hattie Wall came to Jesus in Oklahoma City. And you know what I think about this. Man, Jesus moved us to repent. You know what Jesus was doing with this moment with the disciples? He was saying, hey, turn to me. Repent. Come to me. I'll save you. I'll give you hope in life. You know what I've come to find out is point number three. Repentance is the greatest gift. Golly, repentance is the greatest gift God's ever given me. Repentance is the truest praise I can ever offer to the Lord. And oh man, it's, you come on up. Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. Man, if you come to Jesus, let me tell you something, the signs are all over the place. Jesus was the greatest sign. Let me tell you, God is moving in our lives, in our church. He's moving in our city, in our world. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to know that God's going to keep everything he said in his word. He's going to keep every promise he's ever made. And so that's why when we come to worship, Tell you, I come with an attitude of expectation. God, you're going to move me. You're going to speak to me. You're going to guide me. And again, just like we're seeing right here, she can't stop moving, right? This one can't stop moving. The Bible's so very clear. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but you set the example for the believers in your speech life, your faith and your love and in your purity. You can't get more pure than that right there. Right? You can't. And so, just like she can't stop moving. How's God moving you today? How's God moving your heart today? Do you need Jesus as your Savior? Maybe, do you need to trust Him more? Are you sitting there going, man, Lord, if you'll show me. No, no, no. Why don't you just trust him with whatever's in front of you right now? Won't you just believe him? Won't you praise him? Won't you follow him? See, that's what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees. Follow me. Follow me. I don't want you to miss following Jesus. Let's stand. Right, we're going to have an invitation. If you need to pray, if you need to respond, that's why we're here. Let's, let's praise the Lord.